Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. This is Jesus, born into poverty in an insignificant corner of a conquered nation. This is Jesus, a traveling preacher, a homeless outcast called crazy and possessed. This is Jesus, another hopeless rebel, mocked and beaten, hung on a cross to die. This is Jesus, another lifeless body, stuffed into a borrowed tomb, soon to be forgotten. Is this really Jesus? Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. This is Jesus, sent by the Father to be crushed for the sins of the world. This is Jesus, declaring to all he would be killed and then raised to life on the third day. This is Jesus, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. This is Jesus, a missing body from an empty tomb on a Sunday morning. This is Jesus, the image of invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the Lamb of God, the light of the world. This is Jesus. Savior, Lord, King, Alpha, Omega, Creator, Redeemer, Friend to Sinners, Hope of Nations, the Messiah. This is Jesus, the resurrection and the life for all who trust in Him. Wake up, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. This is Jesus. Man, I've watched that so many times. Yeah, give it up for Jesus. Every time I watch it, I get fired up. Man, when I think about who Jesus is and what he's done, man, he's God. We are in the middle of a series called This is Jesus. And we are looking at the person of Jesus, looking at who he was, what he did, the significance of his character, and how he interacted with creation. That would be you and me. But before we get into that, I'm going to tell you a joke. Last week, Pastor Nathan did such a great job of communicating the love of Jesus, Jesus' love, and how, it, how it's tender, and sometimes it's, it's hard. But it's, but it's love, and how God wastes nothing. I, 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 love, I love that, how, how he took, and he, last week he, he talked about how Jesus did everything with intentionality. If you missed last week, go back and listen to it. It was such a great message. Um, with that said, he didn't tell a joke, and, it, um, and so i got to make up for it. And so I, I've, I've been um, waiting to tell this one. It, every, so I, I'm easy to laugh at. I told this to Amy, and she didn't laugh. So it passed my Amy test. If, if, if Amy doesn't laugh, but Amy doesn't laugh at any jokes I say. So there's this guy. He played bagpipes. 
Um, and he liked to serve his community by, by playing bagpipes for homeless people who had passed away. And so a lot of times homeless people would, would, would die. They didn't have anyone to go to their funeral or anything like that. So the, the, his county and the surrounding counties would reach out and say, would you play bagpipes for this service? It would just be you, a pastor, and the grave diggers. This man had no one. And he said, but it's in a, a cemetery you've never been to. It's a county over. He said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. And this man, he gets in his car, and he starts, and he gets lost on the way to the graveside service. And so he's so he feels so bad because he's about to be late to this graveside service. Two hours go by. He's completely late, and he finally pulls up, and he sees these men digging and throwing dirt back into the hole, and he's like, oh my gosh, the, the pastor's done. Every, like They're already putting dirt back on top of, of the grave. He gets out, and he's like, I'm still going to play my bagpipes for this man because he has no one. I'm going to play my heart out. And so he gets out, and he looks at the, the diggers, and he says, would you let me play? I know I'm late. I'm hours late, but please, I don't want... And they're like, sure. And so he starts playing Amazing Grace on these bagpipes. And he's playing the best he's ever played in his whole life. In fact, to the point where he starts crying. It's like, it's so moving. Of course, Amazing Grace, that song is such a powerful song. And then the, the diggers start crying. They're moved so much by this man playing the bagpipes for this homeless dude. And he gets done and, 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 and this bagpipe player, he says, I hope that did honor. And one of the diggers walked up and said, I've never seen anything like that. My whole life, I've never been moved by a song like that. I've never, I've never heard Amazing Grace played on the bagpipes before. I, I, I've never seen anyone give honor like that. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, I've never seen anyone stand at the side of a septic tank hole and play bagpipes. <laughs> Oh, come on. That's, that's just bad. That's, that's horrible. That's, yeah, well, that's just stupid. It's stupid. Stupid. I'll tell you one more. Just one more. I'm so sick of people thinking America is the dumbest nation on earth. Quite frankly, I think Europe's the dumbest nation on earth. Some of you guys will get that. Europe is a series of nations. It's a continent. It's a dad joke. I'm sorry. It's, it's bad. Oh. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. All right. All right. We're, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're going to jump right in here. We're going to jump right in. We're looking at Luke 23, 32 through 56. And then later we're going to be looking at Luke 24, 1 through 12. And this is a really powerful section of scripture and I want to set the scene for you real quick, leading up to this moment. There's a lot that transpired leading up to this moment, because this moment picks up with two criminals. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. But before this, there's a lot going on with Jesus. He stands before Pilate, and he's judged. And Pilate's like, hey, you, you understand, this is a, the Pilate is a Roman governor over Israel, and he says, I have the authority to grant you life or take your life. And Jesus stood there and he says, no one takes my life, but I give it up. I lay my life down. And then we know that then he suddenly 
he, he's uh, scourged, a Roman scourging, which is getting beat. And, and the Romans would actually use this as a type of death. So most people would not live through the scourging. So what would happen is, uh, we always say, like, he got 39 stripes. Well, the Jews would stop at 39. Rome didn't. And he was punished under Roman law. And so he, would, he got beat with the cat of nine tails, which is a whip with leather things. And, and we've all heard this before, but it had metal and glass tied into the end. And what it would do when it hit your skin, it would grab it and it would rip the skin off down to the bone. It would rip skin from flesh, muscle from bone. And that's what Jesus got beat with all over his body. Then on top of that, he got a crown of thorns. And this wasn't loosely placed like all the plays that we've seen. It was shoved into him. And then on top of that, he had to carry his cross. Now, there's, there's debate whether, whether he carried just a cross beam or an actual, the whole cross, because Rome did both. Rome, Rome made people carry the cross beam. Rome made people carry their whole cross because they reused these crosses. And, and so um, even if he carried just the cross beam to the vertical post, even if he just carried that, it was a huge crossbeam, and there are studies that have come out recently, and we know that on the way to Golgotha, which is a place of the skull, which is where he got crucified, on the way there, we know that he dropped the cross, and it landed on him. He was no longer able to carry it, and, and the studies that were done is if you were carrying a Roman crossbeam, and you fell, and it landed on your back, that would be the same as having a head-on collusion at 30 miles an hour with no seatbelt or airbag, just hitting the steering wheel. That's what happened up to this moment. And then before this, there's conversation that's going on. Jesus gets nailed to the cross through his hands and through his feet. While he's on the cross, he's taking care of his mom. He's saying, as he's getting nailed to the cross, he's saying, um, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. As, as he's hanging there, he's saying that. He looks at his mom, and he looks at his disciple, John, and he says, Mom, this is your son? Because he was the oldest son. He was supposed to take care of Mary, so he's giving charge of Mary to John, and he says, John, this is your mother. He's taking care of his mom while he's on the cross. He's having compassion. And then on the way to the cross, he addresses the women of Israel who were mourning for him. And he says, don't mourn for me. I mourn for you. He's having compassion while he's in agony. Like the journey to, the, to, to Golgotha would have killed most people. The scourging would have killed most people. But Jesus said, nothing will take my life. I lay it down. And then so we step into this moment right here. And it says, Starting in verse 32, two others, both criminals, were let out to be executed with him. When they came to a place called the Skull, or Golgotha, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they were doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, as the le and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah. A sign was fastened above him with these words. This is a king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. 
You know, it's one thing to be scoffed, but then there's a person hanging beside you with the same punishment, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until about three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly... The curtain from the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle from top to bottom. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. John's gospel and Matthew's gospel add, it is finished. He cried, it is finished, it is accomplished. And then he says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. Some translations say, surely this was the son of God. Which is interesting about the whole thing is, remember what I said that Jesus said? Jesus said, no man takes my life. I give it up. Even the cross, as he's dying from blood, his body is drowning in its own spit. Crucifixion is is widely known by most historians as the worst form of execution in human history. And as Jesus is drowning in his own spit, the cross still couldn't take his life. It couldn't. He gave it up. And this Roman officer saw it. He's like, this man is not going to die until he chose to die. And he probably was with Jesus when he said that. No man takes my life. I choose to give it up. And so Jesus had such authority that he chose to give up his life. He submitted himself to death at that moment. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. When the the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God. Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowds came to see the crucifixion, um, saw what happened, they went home home in deep sorrow but jesus friends including the women who followed him from galilee stood at a distance watching now there was a good and righteous man named joseph he was a member of jewish the jewish high council and he did not agree with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders he was from the town of arimathea in judea and he was waiting for the kingdom of god to come he went to pilate and asked for jesus's body then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in the tomb and carved out of a rock, a new tomb carved out of the rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation. As the Sabbath was about to begin, as his body was taken down, the women from Galilee followed and saw where the tomb was placed. Then they went home to prepare spices and ointments to anoint the body. By the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. So, don't worry, we'll talk about the resurrection. That's all about the crucifixion right there. But I I want to talk about, uh, I have one thought for you today, and I'm going to ask one question. My thought for you is this. 
Jesus meets you in your worst and offers you his best. Jesus meets you in your worst and offers you his best. Jesus' forgiveness, mercy, compassion, and grace is for everyone. It's for everyone. But those who receive are those who recognize their need for it. Forgiveness is for everyone. Grace is for everyone. Mercy is for everyone. The cross is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. But those who receive him are the people who recognize their need for him. So my question is this. Today, what criminal do you want to be? Some translations say thief. So if I say thief, criminal, thief, same thing. We have a choice, though. Like, well, I don't want to be a criminal. Well, make no mistake, you're guilty. We're all guilty. The Bible's very clear on this. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. We're all guilty, and there's only one way to get rid of guilt, and it's not by our own efforts. So the question is, what criminal do you want to be? He was crucified between two criminals and had two different conversations, two different reactions. We can confess our guilt to God and recognize our need for him, or we can be full of pride and hold it while we are dying. Because, make no mistake, we're all dying, too. From the moment you're conceived, you start to die. That's just the reality of existence. For all of sin and fall short of God's glory standard, Romans 3.23. Just a few chapters later, there's this verse in Romans 6.23, and it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So the, since, since we're born into sin, the reality is, the proof that this body is sinful is that it dies over time because the overflow of sin is death. It always will be, always has been. From the moment Adam and Eve um, sinned in the garden, death entered the world. Sin is, uh, death is the only wage sin can pay. The wages of sin is death. So we're all dying. And we can hold on to our sin in pride like the first criminal or we can confess it in humility like the second criminal. We have a choice. We have a choice. What criminal do you want to be today? Like, man, this is weird. Why would you ask that? It's like, I've never heard an Easter message about this. Um, asking, like, what criminal do you want to be? Are you advocating us breaking the law? You already did. You broke the law of God. You can't keep it. So, you notice that in this narrative... There is a lot of people mocking Jesus. There's a lot of people mocking Jesus. The religious leaders are mocking Jesus. The soldiers are mocking Jesus. And even the criminal who is condemned to die in his pride mocked Jesus. And I want to say, people who do not fear God or realize who God is will always mock Jesus. When you realize who Jesus is and what he's done, you don't mock him. He's not just a little lamb. He's not a cuddly puppy. He's not a kitten. 
He is a lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king of kings. He spoke and the universe formed. He is God and he is not one to mock. To the point where the Bible says, make no mistake, God cannot be mocked. So you might think we can mock God. These soldiers thought they could mock God. These religious leaders of the time thought they could mock God. Even the thief next to Jesus thought he could mock God. But one day, for us, we will all stand before a very living God who's sitting on his throne with all power and authority, and we won't have a single excuse because he's a perfect judge, and he can see all of our thoughts, all of our actions. He sees the motivations of why you're nice to people. And we won't have a single case for our life. These people thought they mocked God, and then Jesus proved him wrong. How did he prove him wrong? The moment he died, get this, the moment Jesus died, several things happened, and it wasn't recorded here in Luke, but I would re- encourage you to go read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of the crucifixion. It's so powerful because when you read like one gospel, it's like one layer cake, but when you read all four, it's like a four-layer cake, and who doesn't like a four-layer cake? It, gets, it just gets better. It's amazing. And, like, and that's the thing. The layers get, make it richer. Matthew's account tells us upon, the moment Jesus decided to let go of his life, he gave up his life. It says there was an earthquake. It says that it was, it, it was completely dark. It says that the temple curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place was torn from top to bottom. This is really significant because that means God's presence left the earth. The Holy Spirit left the earth in that moment because he was about to give his spirit to his church. And then on top of that, when I, I want you to see the significance of the death of Christ because who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He is the author of life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Life is Jesus. Jesus is life. You can't have life apart from Jesus. He's the only way to eternal life. He is life. And when eternal life, when Jesus stepped into death, death gave birth to life. Matthew tells us that when Jesus entered into death, that the grave gave up righteous people and they came back to life. And that was before the resurrection. Could you imagine that dead, like, you just, you should, we just buried um, dear old Aunt Brenda last year, and then all of a sudden she's walking through Jerusalem again? Like, it, that's what happened when Jesus stepped into death. Death gave birth to life because the grave can't hold life. Jesus had such authority and power over death that even in death, the grave didn't know what to do. It had to do something. God can't be mocked. They thought they were killing him. And when they killed him, he made the the other graves give up in life. God can't be mocked. But how do we mock God today? Because we're not on a cross next to Jesus, literally. We're not saying, Jesus, if you're truly God, get us off the cross. How do we mock God today? We do what the first thief did. The first thief wanted Jesus to work for him. He had no repentance. He had no sorrow for his wrong. He just said, Jesus, if you're God, get me out of here. 
And some of us do the same thing. We treat God like fire insurance. Oh, I'm going to get out a hell free card. I'm going to say this prayer. Oh, I'm good for eternity. How do we mock God today? It's saying that we're a Christian and living like the world. It's saying that, that we're a Christ follower, but then we don't obey his word or believe his word. That's how we mock God today. I know this is, this is, this is tough. Because there's so many people out there that believe they're Christians. They believe they're okay with God. But Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. And when we are a Christian, we follow Jesus. That means there is a change. When you, it's not just the, the, the first thief, the first criminal wanted a savior. But he didn't want to make Jesus king. So many people want to be saved from hell. And they, and they gave their heart to Jesus on the condition of not going to hell that's a benefit of a relationship, but that's not the point. Jesus loves you and he wants a relationship. The whole reason he came and died to provide forgiveness for your sin was to restore a relationship with the Father who wants a relationship with you in heaven. The benefit is not going to hell. Praise God. But that's like, that's a, that's a plus. That's not the main reason. The main reason is to restore relationship with the Father. But we mock God today is when we think we say a prayer and then there's no change in our life. Proof of your salvation is not a prayer, is not baptism, is not speaking in tongues, is none of that. Proof is, are you changed? Are you born again? The Bible's very clear. When we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So if we say we're a Christian before we were, before we were in Christ, we might have had permission to hate that person, that coworker, that guy that just gets under your skin and you just can't like him or that girl or that sibling. Let's just be real. But once you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you can't hate him anymore. Like Jesus says, I got to pray for my enemies. I got to bless those who persecute me. There's a change that takes place. We mock God. We mock God today by saying, I'm a Christian and never change. We live like the world. There should be a change in our life that we can quantify because we are born again. You are no longer the same you. Too many people think if I say a prayer, if I say a prayer, I'm good. That prayer is only as good as your heart. That prayer is only as good as your heart. I can say stuff all day long that I don't mean. But if we confess with our mouth and believe in our, then we are saved. But we mock God. The first criminal, he wanted a savior without, without confession or admitting of guilt. There's no humility in what he said. Jesus, if you're God, get me out of here. Jesus, if you're God. Save yourself and us too. 
What's so sad about the first criminal is the fact that he didn't even hear Jesus. Jesus said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus made a declaration for all time at that moment. It wasn't just for the people that were crucifying him. It was for us today. He's still saying it for you. If you're here today and you've been mocking God with your lifestyle, God's still saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's hope. There's hope. He made that declaration over that that criminal. He made that declaration over the people that drove the nails. He made that declaration over the people that were mocking him. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he's still making it over you today. But we still have a choice. Do we receive it? What criminal do you want to be? What did the second thief do? What did the second criminal do? He humbled himself. And he recognized he was guilty. He said, do you not fear God? He said, you and I deserve our punishment. But this man doesn't. He recognized who Jesus was. And he recognized who he was. He wasn't worthy. Jesus has compassion for those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy. Jesus has overflowing compassion for those who are spiritually bankrupt. So how was Jesus able to make the promise to the second thief? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. How was Jesus able to do that? Well, let's keep reading for a second. It's found in Luke 24, 1 through 12. But very early on a Sunday morning, because Jesus knew he would raise again. Jesus knew. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And and he knew the grave couldn't hold him. He knew. Why was he able to make a promise? It was in the resurrection. Very early on a Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. They found the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. They stood there puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed to their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Come on. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. The Son of Man must be betrayed and handed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered what he had said. So they rushed back from the tomb to the 11 disciples and everyone else and told everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, mother of James, and several other women who, were, who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, and they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up, and we know that also in John's gospel, John jumped up too, and ran to the tomb and looked in. Stooping, he peered in and saw empty linen and wrappings. Then he went home, wondering what had happened. Men, listen to your ladies, because they're smarter than us. (laughs) Why was Jesus able to make this promise? Why was Jesus able to make this promise? Because he knew that resurrection was coming. He knew every promise of God God hinges on the resurrection of God. It hinges on the resurrection. 
If there, if there was no resurrection, Jesus died for nothing. If there is no resurrection, you can never have a relationship with God. But it's the resurrection that makes the cross powerful. It's the resurrection that makes a relationship available. It's the resurrection that makes forgiveness of your sins available. The cross is nothing without the resurrection. It's the resurrection that fulfills the promises of God. It's the resurrection that makes relationship available. Because Jesus is alive. The one who promised is alive. The one who guarantees is alive. The one who ushers in relationship and salvation is alive. In fact, we just got through Hebrews, and it says that he's constantly, he's up in heaven. He, he's a person that oversees the new covenant with God. He's, he's always overseeing this covenant. He's alive. We have a defense attorney named Jesus Christ right next to God, always pleading our case of innocence and righteousness before the Lord. So how do we receive forgiveness and right standing with God? We literally do what the second thief did. We have a choice today. Which thief do you want to be? Both deserve death. One was given life by giving Jesus all he had. His faith, belief. His faith and belief. So what's, you want to know something interesting about the second thief real quick? The second thief is a conundrum to denominations. The second thief is, is a denominational and, and doctrinal hiccup to a lot of churches because they can't compute how this guy got into heaven. The second thief doesn't meet any of the requirements that we, the church, so often put on salvation. Well, you got to say the sinner's prayer. You got to be baptized in water. You got to speak in tongues. You got to go to church. You got to kneel. What did he have? He didn't do any of that. You got to pray. He didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't have any of that. Some of us, we, we think that getting to God is so hard. But look at what the second thief had. He, get this, he didn't have anything to offer God. Some of us are trying to get our salvation by offering God something. God, if, like if you save me, I'll do this for you. Or if you answer my prayers, I'll do this. And we turn relationship into religion. We turn relationship into legalism. We, we, make, we make a covenant, a legal contract. And God say, no, stop that. The second thief was nailed to a cross, completely naked, completely full of shame. He had nothing to give God. He had nothing but faith and belief. What did he, he put his faith in Jesus and he believed Jesus is who he says he is. He believed that Jesus was the son of God. He believed that Jesus will do what he says he'll do, that he'll raise from the dead. He believed Jesus. That's all that's required for salvation. But he humbled himself. We can walk out of here thinking we're okay with God and continue to mock him by living like the world, but calling ourselves Christians, or we can humble ourselves and say, God, I don't deserve this, 
but forgive me. The second thief literally did what Jesus said to do in John 3.16. Jesus says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. John 3.17, it gets richer. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3.18 gets even better. We always stop at 16, but it gets better because John 3.18 says, the world stands condemned because they didn't believe in the son. It's all about belief in God. Romans 3.23 says, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We're all in sin. Romans 6.23 says this. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So how do we get it? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For God made Christ Jesus. For God made Christ Jesus, who never sinned, to be our sin offering that we could be made right with God through Christ. It's all on Jesus. So what thief do we want to be? One full of pride that wanted a savior but not a Lord, that wanted a get out of hell free card but no relationship. Or we can say, I want a relationship with God. I'm gonna humble myself. I deserve, I deserve death but he offers life, so Jesus, forgive me. I want a relationship. And the Bible says you're born again. You're made new. That's that simple. So we're, how we're going to wrap this up today. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't normally do this, but I feel like there's enough people here today that, the, that there, there, there are people here today that have never given their heart to Jesus, there are people here today that, that you kind of fit that first thief category. Maybe you gave your heart to Jesus a long time ago, but you haven't been living for him and you need to give your life back to him. You need to, you need to rededicate. You, you've been backsliding. Or maybe you've been saying, maybe you've been, your lifestyle truly has been mocking God. You've been saying you're a Christian, but you're not living for him. So if that's you, uh, uh, every head bowed, every eye closed. Jesus loves you. Let's choose to be the second thief. So if that's you, I'm just going to ask you. You say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want, I want a relationship with Jesus. I just want you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand up. There's several hands going up all over the place. All right, put your hands down. This is what we're going to do. I'm actually going to do something. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. <laughs> But here's the deal. This prayer will mean nothing. It will literally mean nothing if you don't mean it. This prayer only has power to change your life if you believe it. The requirements for salvation is simple. I believe Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the son of God. I believe <laughs> that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose again. That's it. So I want you to repeat after me. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, I confess 
I'm a sinner and I need salvation. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again. Now come be Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you said that and meant that, let me tell you guys, welcome to the family. Give it up to Jesus. He's a mighty God. He's a mighty King. If you said that for the first time, let me tell you, the Bible says you're a new creation. The you who walked in here is not the you walking out. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting.